Well, good morning. Morning. Man, there's some good-looking people in this room. You are some good-looking people in this room. Yeah, yeah. She is so loving this this morning. Good. Um, my name is Pastor Freddie. Um, probably some of you probably see me. I'm always the tallest guy down front. People who sit behind me sort of have a time, hard time worshiping. So I sort of move in the aisle for two reasons. One, so the people behind me can see. And the other thing is because I'm sort of radical in my worship. Every now and then I have a flashback of my days playing college ball. I have a tendency to elbow my wife in the side of the head. And that's not very spiritual. So anyway. But good morning. It is. Uh, I've got you for the next two weeks, this week and next week. Um, and I hope and pray that you guys have been truly blessed from the information of the word of God and the new foundation, because um, this is so important that we build on the foundation that has already been laid by Christ. And uh, the Bible warns us not to build another one, another foundation on top of that one. I teach, uh, I'll give you a little background. I've been in ministry for about 30 years. Uh, I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ when I was eight years old in the city of New Orleans. I grew up in New Orleans and probably one of the most dangerous sections of New Orleans, uh, the lower ninth ward. And the reason why my parents moved from there is I almost got killed three times on the streets, not due to any stupid decision of my own other than trying to outrun an 18 wheel on a bicycle. That didn't go well. But when you're 15, you do some stupid stuff. Let the church say, man. All right. <laughs> But um gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And um, it's interesting because the church uh, I got saved in, I have to pass that church every single day or whenever I go to see my son play at the University of New Orleans. That church sits on Legion Field. And every time I pass it on the way to the school, I just look and say, Lord, this is where the journey began for me as an eight-year-old kid. And I just think it's amazing. Also, it was amazing. The guy in the church, the pastor had a son, and we grew up. I mean, we just we were like inseparable. Now he's the pastor of the church on in East New Orleans off the I-10 service road, and he's the pastor. Of the church. And my son is attending that church. And I'm like, man, God is so good. God is so good. And then um, at age 16, God called me into ministry to preach, and I ran from that. I'm like, man, you know, there was 10 kids in my family. I said, God, call one of them. You know that number. And I said, I am not preaching. I told God what I'm going to do. I am not preaching. Well, we know who won that argument. Because in my mind, I was said I wanted to go play ball in college. Man, I was going to ball out, get to the NBA. I was going to do my thing. Then I tried to sort of, you know, negotiate with God. Well, God, if you let me play college ball and I get to the next level, just think about all the people I could witness to, the amount of money I could make and take care of the missions over in Africa and feed the little kids in Asia. God went, hmm, no, absolutely not. That's the short version of my story, and we in a second. Here we are this morning. <laughs> I left a lot of stuff out, but it's not relevant. So I'm excited to be with you for the next two weeks. How many of you guys have never had me as a teacher in, in a setting of instructions? No one? Okay, you're in, in for an interesting journey. Um, also, the other thing I want to tell you, I've been also teaching for 31 years and coaching basketball for 31 years. I'm a teacher. I teach a high school Bible class at Homer Christian, grades 10 through 12. And uh, I also am the head basketball coach. I've been doing that for 30 years, and I've been truly loving that. Uh, it's been a blessing to me because basketball to me is not just a sport. It is a mission, and it is my it's, it's, it's what I do for Christ. And so I'm inseparable with that. So I'm a teacher by trade. been doing it for a while, um, and I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Let me get to... Um, Get some names here. Tor, just so I can get to know you. Tori Rodrigue, where are you? Wave at me. Tori Rodrigue's not here. Okay, let me get to the ones that are here. Ashley. Uh, D E T D H A. How do you pronounce that? D Hart. Okay. All right. I have a young lady in my class named Sierra D Hart. No relation. Okay. Uh, Scott Alfonso. Okay. Uh, Arlene Hingles. Hingle, Hingle, or Single, Hingle. Hey, that rhymes. You working on that new album, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told you it's going to be interesting this morning. Jeffrey Robichaud. Good, Jeff. 
Uh, Amanda Shack Shuck Shock. I won't touch that. Okay. Lori Monso. Monso? That's French. We. Oui. Corey Odemar. Good. Uh, Lolita. Lolita or Lolita? Lolita? Lolita. I want to make sure I say it right and respect the name. Lolita. Alright. Um, Heather Neal. Good. Uh, Donnie Neal Jr. Okay. Um, Shane Scott. Good. Um, Christine Lee. Good. Um, Patricia Degrees. Okay. And so the rest of them not here. Eloise Degrees. Elise. Okay. Your sisters. Y'all can take that any way you want to. Uh, Buster Porsche. Okay. That's a manly name, Buster. Buster, get in here. Your mom ever did that to you? Too many times, huh? <laughs> you are love, big brother. Um, Tay. Who? Spell that. Rusich. The origin of that last name is. I, I was a Thomas. Now you know how it feels to be up under the bus and not a mechanic, being a mechanic. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Gene uh, Rodrigue. That's you. Okay, good. And Laura Sierra, good. And I guess the rest of my brothers are here from Place of Restoration. Good to have you. Okay. Place, place of Restoration, give me a hoorah. Hoorah. One more time. Hoorah. Boy, them boys look like they're ready for war this morning. <laughs> but I'm excited to be here this morning. I really am. And we're going to take a journey for the next two weeks. One that I hope and pray that will leave an indelible mark in your spirit and your heart. Because I, I'm passionate about the Word of God, I'm also passionate about teaching. One of the things I, I realized is that if when I was a student, I hated boring teachers, you know, much less the subject they were teaching. So I promise you, it's going to be very interesting. What goes on in here stays in here. I said, oh, Lord, let's pray first, and then it's gonna, it'll be right. Father, we thank you this morning for everything that you've done. We honor you and we bless you. We have gathered in a place like this to sit at your table. We've come to feast from your word. Father, may everything that is done today bring glory and honor to your name. I submit myself to the working of the Holy Spirit. Take my mind, my mouth, my heart, my spirit, everything I give to you now. These are your people. These are your sons and daughters. These are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so today, Father, take us on a journey that when we leave this room, we will forever be changed and the glory of God will be revealed in a way we've never seen you before. We ask now that the Holy Spirit will sh- consume this room, consume our hearts. May nothing distract us. Father, we glorify you and we magnify you for your name is holy. Jesus, we ask in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, last week, what did you guys cover? I think it was justification, right? Okay. Anybody remember? Well, first of all, what is justification? What is justification? Hands. Oh, I do an interactive, so I call on people and, um, hmm. I had two marks. Is the markers over there, Chuck? I pulled the board and didn't keep the markers. It's not over there. Oh, here it is. Okay. What is justification? Somebody give me something, something you learned lesson. What is justification, sir? Alright, being made right. Someone else? Justification. What is justification? You can pee back at your notes. Bless you. 
You can pee back at your notes. Okay. Why is justification the central point of Christianity? Why is it? I agree with you, but why is it? Why is... Huh? The sins have been paid for. Someone else did something. Every religion in the world, except for Christianity, is a religion of doing. Christianity, if you want to label it as a religion, well, just for the sake of calling it religion, is a religion of done. Now, that puts you and I in a very good situation because in light of all the other religions, it leaves people frustrated trying to make themselves right. So many prayers a day. You've got to do this. Dip yourself in the river. You've got to make sure you throw a rock over your left shoulder, the right shoulder. You may be called a heathen in some countries. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it leaves you frustrated. And so all these other religions, they leave every worshiper in that, in that faith with not an assurance of the next life. Not knowing if they have done enough. And see, Jesus Christ settled the issue of righteousness and being accepted by the Father by his precious blood. He declared us righteous, what he did at the cross. The cross settled everything. You don't have to jump through hoops, do backflips, say all these prayers and do all these things. Jesus Christ, when you accept him, he declares you to be righteous. He declared it. By his precious blood and the act on the cross. So when I like to look at justification, I always tell my kids that justification is this. After having been born again, God treats me just as if I had never sinned. Justification. He treats me just as if I had never sinned. Now, that's a very interesting concept to look at because all in our, everything surrounding our existence, we've always been trained in order to get something you have to do what? You got to do something. You have to work. Work hard to get better grades. Work hard to get the raise. Work, 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 work. If you love me, you will do something. Then all of a sudden you step into the kingdom of God and God says, um, this is not a work related relationship. As a matter of fact, when you step into relationship with me, my son has already done it all. That's why he says you must enter into rest. Our Sabbath is Christ. We have ceased from trying to labor for God to accept us. We step into our salvation and join heirs with Christ. And then now Christ has done everything and we enjoy the fruits. Now, those things don't make us saved. But here's what we do. As a result of our salvation, we read the word of God. We go to church. We do all these things as a result because we want evidence. And so this is evidence of my being justified is now how I live this out. Now that takes us into our subject today, which is sanctification, sanctification. All right. Anybody have any idea of what that is or have a clue what you think it might be? Uh huh. Renewing of the mind. Good. Someone else. Good to see you, Gage. Being made more like Christ. Okay. Is justification and sanctification on opposite ends of the Christian spectrum? Or are they heads and tail of the same coin? What do you think? Same coin, head and tail. Okay. But they work together. My objective today is to sort of really get in, dissect, magnify, Cut these this pieces together, you cut them apart, and then put them back so that you can clearly understand what is sanctification. Growing up as a kid, I grew up Pentecostal, old school Pentecostal. Now, for those of you that don't know, any old school Pentecostal people in here? Okay. Now, if I say this, you're probably going to say, yeah, that was me. Old school Pentecostal, um, speaking in tongues, running around the church, cutting backflips, jumping over pews, screaming, Doing break dancing on the floor and like some of y'all like, oh Lord, what were y'all doing? He had the big disco ball in the front. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was old school Pentecost with the bun, the long dress. You can't wear shorts. Don't put on makeup. You know, we were a mess where I, where I grew up in, but we, we, we loved God. And so I grew up very strict Pentecostal and not knowing the freedom that God had, Jesus Christ had died for me. And so growing up, people used to always say, you go to that sanctified church? The people over there sanctified. And they didn't understand what they were saying. They was just sort of in their mind, the reason why they call it a sanctified church, because that's what we said of ourselves. We were set apart or we did some things differently. And we're going to take a look at that.
Okay. Well, let's get dive into the lesson. All right. Now, what I what I like you to do, if you have a pen or something, there are some things in the opening paragraph I want you to highlight or underline because this becomes very, very important. Uh, as a teacher, words mean very a lot of things to me, and I don't just run over stuff. So I'm going to read some things to you in the opening paragraph on the class of steps of uh, biblical sanctification. Sanctification is the biblical process that all believers are in. So please underline that opening, opening line. Every single believer is involved in the sanctification process. Now, just to put it in literal terms, I use a lot of illustrations. I use a lot of examples because I want you to be clear in where we're going and what we're doing. Um, at the end of the day, what do you do with your clothes that you were wearing? Huh? Throw them in the dirty clothes. And at some point, men, what do we do with those clothes? Give them to our wives to clean, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What do we do with those clothes? We clean them. Why do we wash them? Huh? To make them like new again. Well, that process of making those clothes new again, we clean them and wash them. That's called sanctification. We sanctify. And then at the end of the day, before we go jump in the bed, hopefully, what do we do? We take a bath or a shower. That we're cleaning ourselves. We're sanctifying to make clean. Well, we're going to take a look at what does it mean to be sanctified? Because now sanctification is the biblical process that all believers are in. From the one behind the pulpit to the ones that sit in the pew. Every single one of us are involved in the sanctifying process. Okay? After salvation and before glorification of heaven... Christians, you and I are in the process of, and this is what I want you to underline, becoming more like Christ. Please underline that. Becoming more like Christ in our what? Huh? And our thoughts. What else? Our actions. Anything else? Okay. We're becoming more like Christ in our thoughts and our actions. Please underline those two. So we're seeing already in the sanctifying process, God is interested in two areas that will reflect a change in our thoughts and our actions. When does 99% of our warfare takes place? In our mind. There it is. It's in the mind. So if we're going to reflect... Uh, the fact that Christ has now justified us, it will pr- pr- most time be clearly seen, first of all, in our thinking. Because here's the thing. As I think, I do. My thinking governs my behavior. You see, you guys clearly understand that. To the outside, to your family, they could not, they, they had a hard time grasping why you were doing the things you were doing. And then even within yourselves, you were you were torn because you know that's not who you are. And yet something was causing you to do what you were doing. And, and you saw your actions hurting the people that you love. And you could not say, why can't I break the cycle? The only way your action will be broken, there has to be a renewing of your what, guys? And see, right now, you can step out there. Many of you can step out there and, and your family and friends will look at you like, are you what? What has happened to you? Because you have had your minds renewed. See, most people live stinky because they have stinky thinking, both in and out of the church. That mind is a very powerful thing. And you cannot allow your thoughts to run wild and get out of the cage because Satan will have a field day with your mind. So sanctification is a biblical process that, number one, all what are, are engaged in? All believers. And after salvation and glorification, going to heaven, Christ is in the process that we need to become more like Christ in two areas. What are they? Our thoughts and our actions. As we learn, and right here I want you to just scratch that out and put, it's supposed to be lesson two and not lesson three. Because that's what we're starting, please lesson two. As believers, we have a new what in Christ? We have a new what? A new what? We have a new nature okay in christ in christ we have a new nature um we have a new desire to honor god so we have the new nature and we have a new what desire 
Now, I want you to see this. This is very important. When when one says that a person is born with a sin nature, and I just want to throw it out because I just need to make sure everybody clearly understands that. What do we mean when we say a person, because of Adam's fall, we're all born with a sin nature? What does that mean? Sin nature. Huh? To rebel. Good. Someone else. Okay, there was a natural inclination, natural. Somebody say natural. There's always a, because of the fall of Adam, they call it the original sin. Many religions don't believe in the original sin. But because of the fall of Adam, we, we have a fallen nature. In other words, every single human being is born with a tendency. If this is my position before the fall, Godward, this is my, and this is God and leaning toward God. This is our position now after the fall. That's gone. Do you see me now? This is the position that all of humanity had before the fall. This is our position after the fall. Naturally, we always want to by nature. And it's not anything that, we, you know, we have to be taught. I mean, example, you don't have to teach a child to throw a temper tantrum whenever they don't, they don't get what they want. Anybody know that to be true? You know, a child, one of the things I learned about a child, if they don't like you, they will tell you, I don't like you. (laughs) There is not a manual in the world you have to teach a child to do that. That is in us naturally. And so because we come with that package, that information has been downloaded into our DNA spiritually and mentally. So God says, now now that you've gotten here, birthed by your parents, now I've got to rewire you. Because your father, Adam, messed you up. The first Adam messed you up. But the second Adam fixed it. Amen? So we see when we say new, uh, our, we have a new nature and our desires. Let, let me also say this, and I, I can't get away from this because there's, this is a loaded piece of information. Satan has been defeated at the cross. Now, when I said that one of the time, in one of my classes, one of the kids said, well, Coach, let me see if I understand. You say Satan is defeated. He's no longer powerful. No, he's not. Then why is he c- causing so much destruction in the world? I said, well, he lost his power to control us, but he did not lose his power to deceive us. When we talk about our desires, what you got to look at, number one, we are free We have a free will. We are free moral agents, which means that when we are born, we're born with the ability to what? To choose. So when a person sins, they sin because they choose to sin, because Satan uses our desire against us to enslave us, to trip us up, to destroy us. He uses us to destroy us. Where there is no desire for a thing, there could never be a temptation for the thing. Where there is no desire to grasp the thing, Satan will never be able to enslave you in that thing. Not a single one of you in this classroom have a desire to go out and stick a needle in your arm when you leave from church and shoot up heroin in your arm. So that's not a temptation for a lot of you. It's not. He cannot tempt you with it. But every single one of us got that one thing Satan knows. Our anger, that temper, that low self-esteem, that desire to be right, that pride, it's always something. And it's never the same thing for two people. Amen? And he knows, and he knows you do not want to give that up. Because he knows that defines you. It, It still puts you in control. And whatever you feel you have to hang on to because it makes you feel who you are, that's the area of that Satan is using to trip you up. That's the area he will use. Some giving you giving some of yourself to God is not a total commitment. Total commitment means he wants everything and wants it all. So we see that as believers, we have a new nature in Christ. And we have a new desire. And those new desires is to do what in this paragraph? To honor God. My desires now should not reflect honoring me. But my design, my desire now is to honor God. 
God, my whole passion is to love you, to serve you. Okay? Now let me continue on. As we learn in chapter 2, all believers have a new nature. In Christ, we have the new desire to honor God. We have, we, we have a sensitivity toward sin. Please underline that. We have a sensitivity towards sin. And we now have a passion. Here's the other one I want you to underline. To serve God and others. Let me say it again. We have a sensitivity towards sin. Meaning this. Uh, anybody here have any type of allergies, food or smells, or any, type, any type of allergies? Anybody have any allergies in here? No one? No allergies? You're not allergic to anything? Good. That's so good. Healthy people. Yes. Huh? You have an allergy to cats. So when you get around cats, what do they make you do? Just puff your eyes, you swell up. So you have a uh, you have a sensitivity to those animals. So whenever they come around, you see them, you pull back like whoa, 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 whoa. Someone else had their hand up over here. There was you have a allergy to something. Someone else had their hand up. Okay. Now, yeah, cats. Okay. Now. When you see cats, you, because of your awareness and your sensitivity to it and what, how it affects you physically, you try it with all possible, in all possible strength. When you see it, you go the opposite direction because you know the effects and you know the negative effects that it's going to have on you, right? Now that we are sanctified, the Bible says now we have a sensitivity to sin, meaning this, like the cat, when we see it, we said, oh, no, 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 no. I cannot let that come anywhere near me because I know it's going to affect me negatively. You literally run. The Holy Spirit has now given you sensitive. In other words, you have become allergic to sin of any kind. And you do not want to even go nowhere near it. Not even have a thought of having it involved in you because you know the negative effect is going to have on you, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and also, here's the biggie, spiritually. And so you run. You don't even give thought to it. Wow. Oh, by the way, the other thing, during the course of the lesson, when, when the Holy Spirit gives you something, and you connect with that, and you're just like, just slip your hand up and just share with us, okay? Because I, 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 I like to chase rabbits, but I know where the original hole is. Okay, if God gave you something and he's like, oh, I want to say, it. just slip your hands up and just give it to us because I want everybody. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, mama. That's the learning. That's the learning. That's the learning. Okay. Because here's the thing, when I shoot a free throw and I miss, my mind has to quickly figure out what did I do wrong? Was the alignment? Did I pop my wrist? Did I get it up over the rim? I quickly have to do that because if I'm shooting two shots, I've got to make sure I do what I need to do the right way. Because and then by processing, what did I do wrong? How did it come off my fingertip? It's what it's all muscle memory. Everything is muscle memory when it comes to sports. So the more you do it, the more you become inclined to understand. And so when we're being guided and influenced by the Holy Spirit, the more we yield to him, even in our mistakes, to allow the Holy Spirit to correct it, then the easier it is when you get in that area, the enemy bring that area back, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I remember what I did before, and you're not going to get me like this again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, slap me in the head. <laughs> Anybody feel what I'm saying? I believe in having church once every now and then a preacher will come out of me. So we love teaching. Okay. Thank you, mama. Yeah. So it's the learning. But here's what Satan does, mama. When you make the mistakes, he's like, well, I thought you were saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have looked at that. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have like, hold up, man. This is an A and B conversation between me and God. See your way out of this one. You ain't got nothing to do with this. Shut up. And literally, now I know that sounds weird, but there's sometimes I'm driving and I'm having it. I'm just, you know, just enjoying myself. Satan will put these conversations in my mind. I'm like, hold up, man. Are you stupid? And I, and I, I, I sometimes I have these conversations with a truck by myself and I pull up at the red light having these conversations. And I guess they say, well, he's either Bluetoothing someone or he's talking. But I literally, people look at me, it's like, and I'm one of these radical dudes for Jesus Christ. My kids, some you know, not all the kids go to home of Christian are saved. So we got kids from every religious background. When we start praying, I start telling them about spiritual warfare. They look at me like, oh, my God, this dude is strange. 
I talk to God like I talk to you, but I get at Satan like my worst adversary wearing a different kind of uniform who's trying to stop me from going to take this dunk. Man, I know you ain't trying to stand in his lane and trying to stop me from going to get these two points. It's about to get really ugly for you. Satan, I know because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I know you're not trying to stop me from walking into everything that Christ died for me to walk in. But he's frivolous desires you trying to get me and enslave me. I am not going there. I know what you did to me before and I'm not going to let you do it to me again. If, if you're going to kill me, you should have killed me a long time ago because you didn't kill me. Not as a flaw to your game, homie. Because when I got saved, Jesus put a sign on my forehead. Can't touch this. Mm, no, no, no. Hey, can't touch this. Chuck, I told you not to let me go there this morning. Man, you're failing in your job. I'm going to tell a pastor on you this morning. So we have a sensitive, a sensitive heart towards sin. And we have a passion to serve not only God and others. That's our desire. However, the new nature dwells in our what? Please underline this, unredeemed flesh. The new nature dwells in the unredeemed flesh. Unredeemed flesh. Wow, wow, wow. That's incredible. We finished at 9.30, right, Chuck? Okay. But while we had to get on, we're still in the first paragraph. So I told you stuff was good. Our new nature dwells in an unredeemed uh, flesh. Anybody um, ever bought something, a new house or a new car, and or your parents ever bought a new house, a new car, and you were one of those type of kids that, you know, you take French fries and every now and then they drop between the seats or, you know, you just mud everywhere. And you ever had a parent bought you, look, let me tell you something. I got this new car. Don't be eating in the back of my car or you may have had a car. Don't be, don't be putting no French Clean your, your your shoe before you get in my car. Anybody ever heard that? Or said, yeah. Or, or ever parents ever bought a house and they said, you know what? I looked at your room at the old house. We got a new house now. You go clean this room up. You gonna keep this bathroom clean. You gonna keep this room clean. You ain't bringing this old attitude into this new house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, see, it's interesting because God is so. Oh, He is. I, I love Him. He takes this new nature and put it in this old flesh. So you would think if God's going to give us a new house, then he would automatically change our attitude to fit the new house. But he doesn't. Why? Because God only requires changing of the thing that connects with him. What do you mean? The Bible said God is a spirit. And they they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Which means that the only portion of us that will change upon upon receiving him is the portion he's responsible for. And that's the spiritual part of us. What about the flesh? He said, I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to leave that to you. What do you mean that I'm responsible for changing my flesh? Uh-uh. He said, your flesh is attached to your what? Huh? Your what? Desire. What? Desire. And your desires is attached to your what? With your ability to what? Okay, so he says, if you're going to love me, you're going to love me because you're going to choose to love me. And if you're not going to sin, you're going to choose to walk away because you love me more. I say this all the time. Gentlemen, here's here's what a woman knows that we have a hard time figuring out every now and then. It ain't love if she's got to make you. I just assume all the ladies would have jumped up and said, amen. (laughs) Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Am I wrong or right, ladies? It ain't love if you have to make him, right? You know, he's like, well, you know, baby, I love you. Love should have brought you home last night. <laughs> Let me give an example. Let me give an example. You're single, right? You are. Well, you said that like, I think. I mean, then you're single. Yes, there you go. We, oh. Okay. Now, here you are on the day of your wedding. Okay. Did I give you away? You're standing there, you be giving away, and you're standing, this man, I mean, he's looking into your eyes, and he's, man, he's about to recite all of his covenant vows to you, and as he's reciting the covenant vows to you, all of a sudden, you sort of look, why is the one gave me away standing behind him? And as he's giving his vows to you, you lean over, and you see the person behind your future husband has a gun to his back. 
Now, when you notice that, would you believe anything at that point once you discovered there's a gun to his back while he's saying this? Why not? Huh? Well, I mean, he's sharing his undying love for you. No, undying. <laughs> he's got to better say it right. So you're going to have a hard time believing that? Probably. Remove the gun, remove the man behind it, and then he's giving back. So he's like, okay, yeah, we, we good. We good, right? Yeah. See, she knows if you got to force him to say that, you know what? Psst, take the dress. Matter of fact, you put the veil on. I'm out of here. God says, here's the thing. I love you because it was my choice to love you. I loved you out of my free will. And I'm not going to force you. I'm go- Your greatest gift from the Lord is your f- being a free will moral agent. Which means if God said, if you're going to love me, you're going to love me not because I can give you something. You're going to love me because you want to love me. And demonstrated that is that you're going to love me more than anything you will ever desire in this earth. Show me that you love me. That's what true love is. And this is what the process of sanctification is. When we take a look at the fact that now our new nature dwells in an unredeemed flesh. Our mind, our will, and our emotions must be taught how to respond to sin and temptation. Please underline that whole statement. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind, our will, and emotion must be taught how to respond to sin and temptation. Our mind. And what's the other one? Our will. And our emotions. By the way. There are three parts to man because we created like triune God. Okay? Not triad, that's three. Triune, three and one. Okay? What are the three parts of man? Our spirit, soul, and our flesh or our body. Believe it or not, all three of these, watch this, is associated with what part, what part of our triune? The soulish realm. Well, y'all get some teaching over there, huh? The soulish realm. The soulish realm. He says, it is your soulish realm that now has to be governed by the word of God. Because in your soulish realm, oh, this is moving. I'm sorry. In your soulish realm, it's where your mind. So what's associated with your mind? Reasoning. My will. My choices. And my emotions. There it is. That is the sum total. Okay. Or put it this way. I'm a, I, I, that's sort of like not where it really wants to be. Let me just put this because, you know, some of the guys were like, yeah. See, they're grinning. My passions. What are you passionate about? Dude, there's nothing like sticking and setting a hook on a big red. Woo! Man, the first time I, I despise fishing. I thought fishing was the worst thing a man could do with his spare time. It's like, who? What man spends hours on a boat and don't catch Jack? Until one day, an old gentleman that I knew from growing up, was sitting on a bucket in Pornishan. He said, Pastor, how you doing? I said, man, I'm doing good. He said, you enjoy fishing? I said, man, that's hopeless. I just, he said, you ain't never um, set, in, set into a big rap? Nah. He said, okay. And he had a rod sitting on, sitting in one of the holders. And he saw the tip moving. He said, Pastor, can you get that rod for me right there quickly? One of them old guys, you know, get that rod for me. I said, pick it up. He said, uh, what I'd like you to do is pull back on it really hard and start reeling. I'm like, what? Pull back on it quickly. I pulled back on that thing something like, and boy, I felt the power of that fish. Man, that was like crack. I'm hooked. <laughs> All it took was one hit. And I'm like, whoa, man, I like this, man. <laughs> man, and, and look, and I, I, God has blessed me with guys that take me to go fishing. Because, you know, I don't, I'm not into, I, you know, my wife don't want me to buy a boat. And they tell me, they said, it is, they said, Pastor Fred, it's such a joy to take you fishing. Cause dude, you lose your mind when you set up. You're trying to pull the whole, all the scales off the fish. So you know, speckled trout just don't do well with me. You know, all I have is a head left when I get him to the boat. 
it's not, it's like, man, I love fishing. But you know what? As passionate as I am about fishing and setting that hook, man, I love Jesus Christ. I am passionate. When I see people come down to the front and get under Jesus, like, yes, Satan, you lost another one. Yes. Now, take that. I am so passionate about Jesus Christ. And people look at me like, man, why do you sweat when you, you be spitting on the kids say, man, you be spitting on that. I say, that's not spit, that's anointing oil. Come get you some. Come get you some. So they move back one row. And then I move closer. And then they move all the way back and say, y'all better come get you some. <laughs> Gage, no, Gage had me for a Bible teacher. He knows. Man, we get up in there, tell him, we get in there, man, we just love on you and love on the word and just have, we just go nuts in that classroom. Because I'm passionate. I'm passionate about everything I do. My father told me, he said, man, if you ever going to do anything and you want people to notice you, pour gasoline on yourself and set yourself on fire because nobody loves to be around people that's boring and always complain about what they have to do. And I'm passionate about everything. I love my family. I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my church. I'm passionate about Chuck. Man, I love Chuck. So we understand that here it is. We have to now, what it says here, our mind, the reasoning, our reasoning, our will, our choices, and our emotions, our passions. What? What is it saying? Have to be taught how to respond to sin and temptation. Because our mind will be tempted in our mind. Our choices, Satan is one to tempt us to go in the wrong direction. And then he will give us wrong passions, perverted passions that don't lead us to Christ. There is an inseparable connection. Man, we better rule. There is an inseparable connection between justification and sanctification, between being declared righteous and becoming righteous. Being Justification is being declared righteous. Sanctification is becoming. Somebody say becoming. Bet- between being covered with the holiness of Christ and having... Uh, and behaving in holy in holy in a holy fashion Christ does does not declare anyone righteous whom he does not make righteous by transforming their nature so these great truths are inseparable or or inseparably linked together so the evidence of the fact that we have been justified it will be seen both in our actions and our emotions and I will. The choices that we make. Now, sanctification begins with the word of God. Please underline that. Sanctification begins with the word of God. Let's take a look at John 17. John 17 tells us uh, what the primary tool, uh, what the primary tool is that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us. And John chapter six, uh, chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. Put that up, Chuck. You got that? John chapter 17 verse 16 and 17 they are not of the world just as i am not of the world sanctify them in in thy in your truth your word is truth O god wow they are not in the world just as i am not of the world sanctify them in the truth your word is truth now what is that scripture what is the basis of that remember jesus was getting ready to leave oh he's getting ready to die he's alone and he said father I'm getting ready to leave them. I have kept every last one of them. As you have given them to me, I have kept them except one, the son of perdition. And now I'm getting ready to leave. Father, I pray that you sanctify them. Make them one as we are one. Lord, I don't ask you to, God, I don't ask you, Father, to take them from the world, but I ask you to keep them. Because, you see, this is what he's saying. Father, the world is going to hate them because they serve me. And they... Hate me first, but I pray that you sanctify them. Okay, sanctify them. Now, let's take a look at this because this is interesting. It says that the that they are not of the world, just as I am not the world. Sanctify them in the truth. The word sanctify here has two meanings. The first one is when we talk about sanctification. I want you to write this. Matter of fact, you can flip over to the other side of the page. Okay, we'll get that later. The other side of the page, I made some notes right there. Excuse me. this very quickly okay 
You may put this in your notes. To consecrate, or secondly, to make holy or pure. To consecrate, or to make holy or pure. Now, let's take a look at the first one. When Jesus said, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, He said, sanctify them. How? How? In truth. And then he just didn't say and leave it that because, you know, today truth has become relative. Anybody know what that means? And it's become subjective. What does that mean when we say today's truth has become relative or subjective? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Why doesn't it matter under relativity? Okay, it's what? See, that's the key. Very good. It's not absolute. You under a relative society that we're living in, environment, postmodernism, relative is effective, subjective truth is you have your truth, you have yours, you have yours, you have yours, you have yours, I have mine, you have yours. We all have our own truth. And one of the things that happens under this more relativistic, subjective type of environment is that because it's relative and subjective, you don't have the right to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. Well, guess what you have just done? You have just violated your own moral view because subjective. When you say I, you do not have the right to judge me, you just created a moral absolute. So that can't work. See the problem? So when he says sanctify them in truth, it just didn't stop there. He identified what truth we need to be sanctified or made right in our mind and our will and our passion. Where's the truth found? In his word. He says sanctify them. He says to consecrate. Listen what he said. To consecrate means to to keep separate from earth and common use and to devote or dedicate to God and his service. He said, Lord, Father... They are not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. And I want you to sanctify them in truth, according to the truth of your word. He says, in other words, whatever you have written or will be written, it is what's in the word that's going to get them to understand they need to be consecrated or set apart, set apart or dedicated to the work that God has established for you. Your work is not my work. My work is not your work. Every single one of us, God is calling us to do something. Now, the second part is one of those interesting parts because now it says to make holy or pure. That means Christ prayed for his disciples to be fully consecrated or separate or for use or dedicated to his service uh, and to his work and ministry and that they would be kept and separated from all the all this these worldly concerns or he prayed for them to have less attachment to the world this one has to do with I want you to write this not being this one here connected The world, one, its systems. Second, how it functions. Its philosophies. How it lives. Wow. He says, Father, sanctify them by your word. Because now your word is going to teach them that you cannot function according to the world's systems. The word teaches us not to live according to their functions, the way they work. 
not to embrace their philosophies, which is hollow, deceptive and vain and taken after the rudiments of this world and not of Christ. And then he says, I want you to sanctify them. When you sanctify them by your word, the word will tell them that they have to live differently than the systems that they're living in. You see the evidence now? You see now why we cannot and should not ever allow the culture to govern how we think, how we live. Wow, now this is the biggie. How we treat people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't dress like us or live where we live. Because there has to be a definitive line in the sand between us who are blood bought and those who are not. We cannot scream and yell the same things that the world is screaming and yelling if it does not line up with the word of God, the truth of God's word. Please listen to me. You need to be all right with this. When you and I choose to walk according to the truth of the word of God, we literally become enemies of our culture. And you better be all right with that. Do you hear what I just said? Oh, by the way, let me just even say this. Most of the persecution, when you start living your life fully by the truth of God's word, most of your conflicts will come from your family members. If you hadn't figured it out already. Any hands in here? But guess what? You still got to love them and pray for them. Love you. Pray for you. But you will not change the truth because it's not yours to change. That's why the world struggles with Christianity. Because we will not, we cannot change the truth because it's not ours to change. Because we believe in moral absolutes. God is the lawgiver. He changed not, so his laws don't change. What even in marriage, how we have defined, redefined marriage in our culture. He said, What God has joined together, let no man separate. Five to four vote last summer? Hmm, look like a little separation to me. See the issue? And we're going to see a growing intolerance in our culture toward those of us who truly believe in the word of God. We just got to get ready for it. And I don't care how much pressure is applied to your life. I don't care how much your family don't want to invite you to the family reunion or when they have their gatherings and you decide to visit, not knowing that they've gathered, you walk in like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, did I miss the invitation? You still go on. Be all right with yourself, because at the end of the day, engage, know what I mean by the end of the day. And I'm not talking about the end of a 24 hour period at the end of the day. When the candle of your life is getting ready to flicker out and you get ready to take your last breath. <laughs> And your soul and your spirit slip into eternity. The culture will be irrelevant at that point. And the only thing that will matter is you will stand before a holy God and he will ask you in this life, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? Well, God, you know, my family gave me such a hard time and I really wanted to love you and serve you. But they just (laughs) but the people I work with, God says. I'm sorry. I ask you, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And see, I I really make it simple for kids. Life with Jesus here means life with him right there. Life without him here means life without him there. That's simple. Paul said, I am persuaded that nothing, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Nothing. And then he lists all these things, death, poverty, angels, principalities, pressure, persecution. He said, yeah, and all these things, none of these things will never, ever separate me from the love of God. How was why did he have such a resolve? Because he said this win win situation. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is if you let me live, I'm going to give you Christ. If you kill me, I'm going to be with the one I'm trying to get with. So, you know what? Do what you want. I'm not changing. I'm good. If you kill me, you're just going to take the body. But the spirit, you're doing me a favor. You're hurrying up my family reunion. So you know what? Threaten me if you will. But I'm not going to change. 21 Coptic Christians, Christian men, knelt on the sands in the Middle East and had their heads severed by radical Islam because they would not abdicate the faith in jesus christ and they had their heads severed and i wonder god is the is the 21st century church in america that committed i wonder if we are that committed 
they would get ready to die. All they had to do is embrace Islam. And they said, no, because we know it is a lie. So do what you have to do. And those 21 men had their heads severed. Wow. 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 There are three basic steps that lead to sanctification. Here they are. Number one is what? Understanding. 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 It says this. God's pattern for spiritual growth starts with the understanding of the Bible and what the Bible says and what the Bible means. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture itself. Please underline that. The meaning of the scripture is is the scripture. If you don't know what it means, you don't have the truth. So the process of spiritual growth starts with the understanding of what the Bible says. That's why you're here this morning. You're saying, this is what you're saying. By sitting in the classroom early on Sunday, when a lot of you were tired this week and really had a lot of work to do, right? You got up this morning, not out of obligation. No one put a gun to your head. You, you got him and says, you know what? Man, I want to know what is involved with this newfound life. Now that I'm in the NFL, this newfound life, man, how do I live in this NFL? How do I live? Because you're just beginning the journey. And so you got up this morning. I don't know who's going to be teaching. Did he tell you I was going to be teaching this morning? He did. But whatever it is that he's going to give us, man, I'm going to sit here. I want to embrace it. Lord, open up my understanding because I really want to know and understand these truths so I can walk this out and allow myself to be pleasing to God, not to man. That's why you keep coming. That's why you keep coming to church. Not out of obligation. He says, man, I am committed to this. Anybody committed to this walk? Anybody committed to this walk? We are committed to it. So, you know, if I'm going to commit to it, man, I want to learn everything I can. True sanctification begins with renewing your mind. Please underline that. True sanctification begins with renewing your mind. You're not going to, to get there through any emotional or mystical experience. Spiritual growth won't happen by osmosis. It requires the discipline of constantly and consistently putting God's word in your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? As a what? What kind? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our what? And do not, and do not be what? Do not be conformed, patterned after, shaped like, look like, camouflaged like to this world but be what by the what renewing of what somebody say my mind my transformation takes place when my mind is renewed okay that by testing we may discern what the will of god what is what it's good it is what and it is what that's the threefold character of the word of god the will of god it is good The will of God is acceptable. And three, it is perfect. The second thing that we have to understand, not only do we have to understanding to be sanctified, but we have to have conviction. Here's what it says. As you grow in your understanding of the Bible, you begin to develop convictions out of what you understand. Those convictions or belief determine how you and I live or at least how we endeavor to live. As God's truth take over our mind, it produces principles that you and I do not desire, do want to desire to violate. That is called sanctification. That's the cat in the room that you said, get that cat out or I'm leaving. That's the cat. That sanctification, it is the transformation of your heart and your will that compels you to obey God's word. Paul speaks of how his convictions were influenced by what he believed according to 2 Corinthians 4:13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also what? Speak. Paul believed what he spoke. And finally, not only do we need to understand, have an understanding for us to be sanctified, we have to have a conviction for what we're reading and a sensitivity to sin. But third, affection like newborn babes, according to first Peter two two, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow into salvation. If we are truly growing spiritually, you don't 
Or if you're truly growing spiritually, you don't read the Bible as mere education. You don't study just as uh, for it to win an argument. You don't approach it casually or carelessly. And you don't flippantly disregard the truth. If you are truly growing, we will uh, growing and we want to come to the scripture eager for the spiritual nourishment. It alone provides our affection, our hunger for God's truth will be continual and nothing will keep us away from his word. Nothing will keep us away from his word. Now, I don't know about you. I love a good dose of uh, red beans and chicken. And at every chance I get, I go after it. But I mean, the word of God, it is so if we're going to grow and understand that God is calling for us to walk out what we have accepted and what we have believed, the sanctification, we have to get inside of his word, learn his truth and allow the scripture to speak for the scripture and then put yourself in position where you can sit down and be taught the word of God where other believers have a true understanding of the word, then you're going to find that the word of God will start affecting how you think and then it will change how you act and how you live. Amen. Man, I have truly enjoyed our time this morning. Um, and I pray this morning that you will take the truth of God's word, go regurgitate it and take it back down and take it, go back and read the book again. Because a lot of times the more you read it, the more you're like, man, I missed that Sunday. And then allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Lord, we recall those things that were spoken this morning throughout the week. And then we're going to come back next week. And I want to ask you about what your time spent in the word. What did it do for you and do for your mind this morning? Amen. Father, we thank you. and We love you. and We honor you. As we leave this place and go into the sanctuary, I pray that you will bless and anoint Pastor Renee. May your anointing be and rest upon the worship team. And Lord, as we gather around the altar to minister to the needs of your people, may you show up strong in their lives. Lord, as we leave this place at the end of this worship service, that you will give them your divine protection. And may your favor rest upon them and everything that they do. You multiply the fruits of their hands. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day and let's go worship God. Amen.